The Protect Your Neck Podcast. UFC 221 Breakdown. You got that thing that I've been looking for. Been running around for so long. Now I got you, I won't let you go. You got that thing that I've been looking for. And you got all full of gold. And that's really turning me on. You are, you are, you are, you are, you are Everything that I dreamed of Now I can paint a picture You are, you are, you are, you are, you are Making my life much greener Yeah, yes Just say Savages, this is the Protect Your Neck podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst whose work you can find at MMAJunkie.com, and usually you can find me at MMA Junkie Radio five days a week, but on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck podcast, we break down high-level MMA, and in case you haven't noticed, I sound a bit different, and if you've been following me on Twitter, or you know, know me personally, obviously, uh, you know that I had a, a big surgery this week. Not fun. Um, so uh, they essentially uh, cut open your boy above his belly button. I've got a nice... It essentially looks like... What's the opposite of a smiley face? This is a frowny face above my belly button, but it's just like a big scar frowny face full of staples. Um, ow. ow. So uh, projecting is a little hard. Laughing, l- laughing is a no. Um, as I've scolded some of you on Twitter for making me laugh. I'm no, just kidding. Thank you for, for, for making me laugh and the well wishes, everybody. And uh, apologies in advance for what may sound like a uh, more, more monotone, uh, more monotone uh, podcast. Um, with that being said, and with it being a little bit of a later timeline, as seems to be the norm for me, I will uh, try to expedite this uh, as fast as possible for your listening pleasure for... Uh, your business purposes, if you're just using this for a reference, which is fine. That's what it's, that's what it's here for. Um, but yeah, that that is that is my that is my excuse. And though I will expedite it, though it will be a very brief recap as per usual and a quick into the card from bottom to top as per usual. I do want to kind of recap what I what I went through because I, I think it's kind of interesting. And well, you know, it was a big deal to me. God damn it, it's real to me. God damn it. Uh, Sacrificed your bodies. Um, God, I'll try not to fucking uh, laugh. But uh, no, uh, yeah, I essentially had a uh, umbilical hernia surgery, which isn't that big of a deal. It's, it's a relatively in and out process. But this is something that's usually in infants or pregnant women. It's not really in, in dudes. Uh, it's uncommon in, or in adults. And when it is in adults or dudes, it can be very painful. And mine, mine was. You heard me complain about it for, for months now. Not months, but, you know, since December uh, of last year. And uh, so, so you know, I go in, get it, uh, go in for surgery on, on Tuesday, the 6th. And, um, and yeah, like, thankfully everything with work was great. Everybody, everybody's super, super cool. Super, you know, understanding with work. In fact, they're telling me to take it easy. My crazy ass loves to work, so 
I'm the nut that still made it a point to make my deadlines or at least get my work turned in this week. But uh, the surgery was a trip, man. Uh, the surgeon, surgeon was great. Apparently, I picked the right guy. It's funny. It's like you know, we all like to say we're not ra- we're, we're not we're not like racist or judgmental or this or that. But when they list a bunch of doctor names and uh, like like Corolla on Corolla's podcast, he used to have a bit of like landlord tenant if you're trying to lease out like apartment like oh, i'm not racist at all but like uh they would leave names like you know they they, they would leave like a voicemail like hello this is sunday and they would have like an urban guy like hey it was tyrone and they would have like a super white guy oh, this is graham wellington and graham wellington would always get the first call back right because <laughs> again we're not racist but you know there's certain society things that are funny to point out well it's funny, and I, I like to joke about that too, and, and laugh, and be like, ah, you know. But, I, you know, we're all hypocrites to some degree because it was funny. It's like they list out all the doctors' names, and they're like, "This doctor's name, this doctor's name," and I can't even tell you what the ethnicities were. To be honest, most of them sounded like Caucasian names, and I actually ended up like, and you know, I actually ended up picking up the Asian name. Oh, dance because you're Asian. Like, no, no, it's just because you know, if I'm gonna play racist stereotype on Asians, one of their many racist stereotypes is that they're smart and they're sharp, they're sharp in school. And uh, if we're gonna play those, if we're gonna play that range, if someone's gonna cut me open, I'm I'm gonna side with them. Point is, I didn't even get the Asian person, which was funny. I got the Italian guy. He's not, you know, he was an A. I'm a Mario, your surgeon. No, no, but uh, you know, he had an Italian last name. And uh, which is all great because you know, hey, if I'm gonna play my own field, that old Dan Tom here is part Italian. For all you listeners that don't know, it's part of the reason why it's probably my favorite food. So I was all good with that. But anyways, I, does that make me race? No, perhaps not even a great story. But I, I just always think that you know, if we're being honest, I always think that's kind of funny. Where we're like, if you're faced with like an important decision, it's funny how like little things like someone's name, you start like examining things you wouldn't normally examine. But. Uh, I don't know if that makes me a bag. Is it racist? Is it racist? Bill Burr, old skit skit went. But no, no, it was it was great. Everybody was great there. Um, and, and uh, but it was crazy because I don't know if anybody else is. And I'll wrap this up here. This is what I wanted to get to. But uh, if anybody else had this experience with surgery, but I'm like I'm exper- I'm, I'm like thinking you know I have the dental stuff where they put you out. And I'm like okay, they put you out before you see anything. And, uh, you know, I probably won't see anything traumatic. And, of course, like the night before, I'm trying to get my mind off it. And this always happens to Dan Tom. Like, when I'm trying to watch a movie to get my mind off something, I watch the worst fucking movie. Like, I'll get out of a breakup and someone's like, hey, you should watch this movie, Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. I'm like, hey, I like Jim Carrey. What could go wrong? You know? <laughs> like, I can't laugh. Sorry. That was, that was a real story back in the day. Or, um... I was having health problems at work and I wasn't sure what was going on after what I thought was my concussion was over. And then I watched this movie. I thought it was like an action movie to get my mind off it. And like the, the main character is like having concussion problems and headaches and like having attacks through the movie. They're similar to the attacks that I was having. I'm like, what the fuck, man? And uh, so so the movie I watched before surgery was... Um, uh, fuck. What was it? Uh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It was... Uh, what was it called? It was like this series. Uh, was it Nymphomaniac? It's on Netflix, but it had Stellan Skarsgård, um, Shia LaBeouf. Uh, it was on a, a film podcast. Uh, it was on their uh, it was on their recommendations, and uh, so I was like, "All right, I'll check this out." It completely sounded like nothing that had to do with fighting, right? It's probably the most opposite, just by the title alone. 
probably the most opposite to do with fighting, which meant that it was right up my alley. So I was like, fuck it, let's let's, let's go with it. I'll pass out. Anyways, the main character, and you actually, it's actually, it was a, it's really kind of a traumatic story. It's not, it's not anything sexual, folks, or anything. Calm down, relax. Um, I was watching it for the performances, but no, 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 really. It was actually, it was really kind of like this traumatic story. And in it, the girl, like, she's sitting outside of, like, a surgery ward where, like, you're kind of finding out why her kind of triggers were where they were. And she was like, well, there was an experience that shaped me, and she was about to have a surgery. And she's sitting outside of the surgery room where they're about to perform surgery, and she's looking at all these sharp instruments and uh, and whatnot. And it was just like, I'm like, I don't need to be watching this fucking scene before I need to, you know, go in. And sure enough, fast forward, I'm getting fast forward, uh, I'm getting, you know, wheeled out, um... Uh, I had my mother take me, uh, so she was, uh, you know, she she waves goodbye. I says, you know, I'm getting wheeled off. You know, see you on the flip side, and I'm getting, you know, wheeled through, wheeled through, and all of a sudden I get wheeled through these double doors at the surgery ward or whatever. And I'm like, oh wow, they're wheeling me right into the heat of things. And um, I already have the IV, you know, plugged in, ready to go. So all I have to do is inject the medicine when the time comes. And I don't know if you guys watch The Walking Dead. I don't know which season it is. Not season three, like season five or some shit. Six, maybe. It's where they're at that Terminus. Spoiler alert, if you haven't gotten this far. That this term, Terminus camp. And uh, I'm not even up to date, but but I got, got pretty deep in. Is when they got to that Terminus camp. And they were already captured. Uh, but the season starts off where they're kind of coming into consciousness. And you kind of hear the faint table saw in the background going... Right, and then like Rick or Glenn, they're all kind of coming into consciousness, like what's going on, and then that, that that crazy torture scene where they start slitting throats and and and, and just executing people, and I, I won't go any farther than that, but it was this really gritty scene where they're just cutting like human body parts and like they're kind of coming to and they're just seeing this like surgery cutting floor, and essentially I went to the hospital version of this because hey, this is you know Desert Springs Hospital in Las Vegas, the oldest hospital that I got referred to, right? Like, when I was doing this pre-surgery exam room, there was a folding chair, okay? Just to kind of put it in perspective. This isn't, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, Tom Cruise Minority Report where he's getting, you know, you know his eyes taken out by the crazy fucking Russian doctor that Michael Bay uses in all his movies. It wasn't quite that level, but, okay, it wasn't, there, there are parts of this hospital that wasn't the most appetizing. And this, you know, this was it. And you're walking in there, and I'm, and I, it feels like I'm already under, under drugs, which they didn't put any drugs in me at this point, but I think I'm kind of losing it, even though I was holding it, keeping a good poker face on. And they're wheeling me in, and I'm just hearing all these kind of saws and, like, things going, like these, these mechanical surgery saws. And I kind of look, and all of a sudden I see into one of the room, you know, because there's multiple rooms connected, and once you're inside the surgery ward, you kind of see into these rooms. And it's just crazy, you know, in one of the rooms there was just a big hairy gentleman. I just see these big hairy legs and a stirrup. Stirrup is what usually the females put their legs in, gentlemen, for, uh, you know, vaginal exams, whatever. You know, you get what I'm saying, okay? We'll be adults here. But, but you know, they're just these big hairy legs and like spread open in the stirrup. And the guy probably just cut open, you know, I didn't, thankfully, just kind of averted my eyes. But they were cutting open somewhere in the, in the, the, the precious area. And you see just like surgeons and the anesthesiologists sitting in front of him like a water cooler. You know, just point like, <laughs> like, you know, they're, they're, you hear like, you know, metal blasting in the background, you know, some other music playing over here, depending on what the surgeon wants to listen to. Holy shit. I get wheeled into a room and 
and they're like, hey, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, the people start forming around me, the crew, they're already prepping in the room, and they're in mid-conversation, and I'm coming in and out of it, even though there's no drugs in me yet, and, and I'm picking up on their conversation like it's a movie, right? You're kind of focusing in and out, like you're the character, the POV, and all of a sudden, one of the nurses go, he's Hawaiian, that's why he's so nice, right? You're from Hawaii, right? And I'm like, yes, yes, from Hawaii, yes. They're like, see, see, he's from Hawaii, he's nice. And then they're like, all right, can you scoot over to the slab? And I'm like, what? And I'm like, oh, okay, because I get to get off the, the, the track. And they actually, it wasn't a bed. They actually have you get onto like a steel slab, like you're in a, in a morgue. And I'm like, holy fuck. And you're looking up at these crazy bright lights that look like a beehive of just multiple lights and layered upon lights and just this huge cylinder oval spotlight, which is good. I'm like, hey, they're going to cut me open. At least they're going to be able to see what the fuck they're doing. But I'm just like, oh, this is just a really unwelcoming, like the slab, I'm not, even though old Dan Tom's a bit overweight, I'm sorry, it's taking a little longer than I thought, even though Dan Tom's a little bit overweight, I'm still not that big of a guy, right? I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm 5'9", 5'10", 185 pounds, you know, 190. Um, but this thing could barely, you know, cover the width of me, and I'm like, holy shit, this is uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden, like, hey, can I, can, hey, give me your arm real quick, put your arm here, like out of a movie, and there's another, you know, a, a, parallel uh, or perpendicular I should say a uh, smaller steel stab perpendicular to a T like a Jesus cross now for me to lay my arm across and a black heavy leather uh, strap stabilizing strap is then strap my arms firmly tight in like don't worry and I'm like holy crap why are they and I'm like thinking I'm like, oh, okay well I guess they need me you know if you're gonna you know perform a cut or you know perform some art or anything on somebody you need a, a stiff surface right like like you can't have a flimsy piece of paper. You need to have it spread. You need, you need tension, right? So you can make precise cuts. I'm like, oh, they just need me wide and tense. And I'm like, that's a comforting thought. And I start feeling like Jesus. And then they start taking my other hand, strapping that in while they shoot um, something, you know, the anesthesia. And now the anesthesia is finally going after after this whole traumatic process. And by the way, before which point, while I'm looking around, I happen to look and see just a bunch of bloody rags by a bunch of sharp instruments at a table afar. And of course, they weren't going to be using it for my operation, but adding to the visual, I was, you know. And so they start injecting the anesthesia. Like, this is going to burn. I'm like, and then at which point I go, how long do I have left? Yeah, 25 seconds, 30 seconds. Okay. Real quick, before they pull the, the mask on me and shit. I'm like, uh, I know we haven't you know, known each other for that long, but uh, if I've offended you, I'm sorry. <laughs> And I, that guy, of course, got a laugh out of him, thankfully. And I go, uh, and just seriously, thank you guys, and uh, uh, do good. <laughs> and they they all kind of chuckle because you know they have to have a sense of humor for their job. And to be honest, that me joking is my way of dealing with shit to not you know show fear. Although I was really just freaking the fuck out. Um, but yeah, I wake up with this whole uh, this whole thing inside me, and it's been fun. And uh, working through it's been fun. They didn't give me any of the good pain medicine, unfortunately. And, um, oh, speaking of which, yeah, they didn't give me uh, any of the good pain medicine, unfortunately. And, uh, hold on one second, I'm pause it real quick. All right, I'm back. Sorry, I had to grab my medicine. Yeah, like I was saying, let me give me any good drugs. I'm sure you, you, you pill heads, you druggies will know out there. Because I didn't, I got this thing called Tramadol. You know, I'm used to the normal, what's it, Vicodins, Percocets, or whatever the normal stuff. And even those, I'm not a big uh, pill guy, you know, I'm even someone who's, you know, I, I was prescribed you know, Xanax at a certain point in my life. And I never dug that. Like, I've never dug any type of medications. I've never been that guy. I never enjoyed those kind of highs. Although some of those work better than others, if you know what I mean. This one, though, not really. Uh, essentially, if you go look up Tramadol, 
will save you the trouble. It uh, has all the narcotic effects and addictive effects and uh, bad side effects, but not any of the good effects. And essentially equivalents to mm, Tylenol on steroids, but not much more than that. So, yeah, in fact, it, I didn't eat enough, apparently, uh, the other night with it, and it, it sent me into a spiral and fucked up my system and made me just feel like trash. Uh, until today, I'm actually still recovering because it fucked up my sleep. And um, with having to do said work and dealing with said pain, yeah, it was not fun. But thankfully, here in Vegas, we finally uh, knock on wood, as long as, you know, the old federal government doesn't step in. We, we changed some laws and... Man, I have my head in the clouds because I haven't even realized it's been like this for some time now. It took me going through a surgery, but we got these things called weed stores. I actually don't call them weed stores. They all have their kind of funny little names. Um, but uh, there, there, there's one a couple blocks down down the street from old Dan Tom. And uh, yeah, apparently you don't need like any medical cards or anything like that or anything. Like you could just walk in as Joe Schmo. Again, this is probably no dumb information. Um, for most, but yeah, like you could be Joe Schmo and you know walk right in, and uh, so uh, I figure, you know what? Why don't I get me some of that CBD stuff? Non psychoactive, doesn't have to hurt my liver, doesn't have to uh, get me all woozy or uh, addicted or uh, have all these other negative side effects to my organs and just my, you know, conscious feelings. Why don't I skip all that? And uh, give this stuff a shot, and it's actually pretty good. I must say, I must say, you know, I've had I've had my share of special brownies in my day. Not gonna lie, uh, Dan Tom, uh, Dan Tom definitely definitely enjoys those. But but no, no, no. In all seriousness, it, it was really nice to actually just have that as a legal option as a responsible adult, as somebody in in pain and in a situation of needing something, and someone who's conscious about their health and doesn't want to further hurt their body. My goodness, it was a nice option. So, I don't know if that was a plug for CBD. Um, anybody's running a CBD company wants to sponsor this button? No, just no but uh, no, it, it. You know, I, I hear it more and more. You see it on fighter stuff and this and that when I'm researching fighter, and I, I see why. I see why it's a, uh, it's very useful stuff. Um, I'm not saying to go. Hey, don't do drugs, kids. Unless they're the good ones. So, careful. Don't get the mixed messages here. Uh, but yeah, it was. It was. It was good stuff. All right, enough with that. I already wasted enough of your time. I'll probably timestamp it just in case people are in a rush in the description. But let's jump to UFC on oh, real quick. UFC Belém recap: six and five in picks, one and one parlay pieces, zero oh and one straight plays and props. Not the greatest uh, judges. The Yamasaki stoppage. You all know that it's all been talked at nauseum by now. You don't need me to talk about it. And. uh I actually gave my thoughts about it on Mid Junkie Radio. Another reason why you should listen to that show. Boom. Subscribe on iTunes. All right, because we are on uh, UFC 221. And I always keep hesitating. Is anybody else out there hesitating when, when they say UFC 221? Because you're like, UFC on... Is this UFC on Fox? Is this UFC on Fight? Oh, it's a pay-per-view. <laughs> like, I'm not even trying to be a dick, but like I'm literally not like 100% honest. Like, I having to do that every time. Anyways, it starts off on Fight Pass uh, with Luke Jumo versus Honest Abe. That's right. Daiichi Abe. And I probably pronounced it improperly. And as I was mentioning my nationalities, one of those is Japanese. And I'm doing myself poorly, you know? Can't pronounce the things I have. I have things tattooed on me like French that I don't even 
not even you know nationality of. Go figure, Dan. Go figure. Um, I don't have the lines in front of me, but uh, Abi should be a favorite over Jumo. He opened as it. Um, you should maintain as it. I'm pulling it up now. I don't think it's by much, nor should it be as much. Y'all know I'm a fan of Jumo. Um, I picked him over Steel, and I did pick him over Anzai, but man, that was really disappointing. You know, I think maybe that was uh, too quick to write off a guy who was inactive, which, as we're seeing, guys who missed weight, guys who were inactive, guys who were veterans, all these typical tropes we all kind of got to pump the brakes on, all of us, myself included, I mean, you know. Um, but there are certain things there that were flags in the first place, like uh, his work rate and activity. And that's essentially what I see him butting him in the butt here, because even though, you know, Abe's mainly uh, accoladed in judo, it, it, he's really savvy kickboxing, you know. He has that almost like, uh, almost reminds me of like those, um, uh, like, you know, old like PKA karate, like kickboxing style guys, you know, like that karate based kickboxing. And uh, it's pretty diverse, solid work rate. Um, by nature, he's going to be able to, t- you know, he's going to be g- yeah, hitting shots just because of, just because of the rate that the Abi works at. But even from a big welterweight like Lim, we saw he was able to take those shots, uh, not get dissuaded, and still even in rounds where you could either think he was losing or think he was losing because that's what the commentary was thinking. Either way, he showed he could come uh, strong, stay focused, and uh, perform under pressure, you know, under clutch uh, at the end of the round. You know, clutch players in MMA are, are, are guys who, what are they doing at the last minute? Those are clutch players. Like, okay, last minute, whose attitude's changing? Something I consistently have a radar for when I'm studying fights. And uh, to see him do that in his debut, it was pretty impressive. Not the easiest task. I felt he won. The numbers aren't always indicative of that. The numbers would agree. Um, and I, if he has a similar performance, uh, I see him doing well here, you know. Jumo can stymie guys in the clinch. He's underrated there. But, I mean, again, uh, Abe, Abe, Abe is a judo player and is no, no slouch there. He's got some savvy trips when he wants to. He seems to like to strike. Uh, you know, he, he's in that phase where fighters kind of like, oh, I'm, I learned how to strike or, you know, whatever. I'm just really grooving it right now, and I'm going to be doing that. And maybe Abe's in that phase, but he certainly has the judo chop. So he's the pick. I'm not too strongly on either side, so there's there's no plays there. Uh, by the way, the line on that. Minus 145 Abe, Luke Jumo, plus 125. I think that's about right. Next up, Jose Quinones, minus 150 favorite over Turuto Ishihara. Uh, this fight is on the avoid list. Um, the other one could be, but it wasn't, uh, Daichi Abi versus Luke Jumo, but this one is, because both these guys are freaking wild in their own right. You know, Ishihara is a little more measured. He's crafting his techniques each time out under Team Alpha Male, you know. Some of his inconsistencies, it's not because of his training. His training's good, but it's more of his personal discipline, you know, whether he was out partying that fight with, uh, you know, over in Ireland or whatever with uh, Artem Lobov or just you know, inconsistent performances, you know, against Gray Maynard, who, you know, let's be honest, you know, many many of us uh, underrated. I mean, I picked Gray to win that fight, but uh, was I confident? No. That was, you know, that was biased. That was, you know, that, that was me rooting for Gray, you know, if I'm being honest, you know. Um, but, but yeah, you know, it's um, it's just one of those dudes it's hard to trust. Uh, you got to see more. And, you know... 
he already brings enough intangibles to the table, and now he's jumping down a weight class to 135. You know, how's he going to do? Um, I don't think weigh-ins ha- quite happened yet. I've been kind of having my head in work. Uh, it's afternoon time Friday when this is being recorded, so about 24 hours time before the card hits. By the way, all the plays and the avoid list I'm citing are actually, um, I'm a, they're on my article for MMA Junkie, but they're actually not dropping to the day of the fight. Like I said, with the surgery, everything got pushed back. So even though this is a later edition of the Protect Your Neck podcast, you guys are still being rewarded, those of you who listen, because you're going to get the plays uh, with the more relevant lines earlier before they drop to the mass public. So for what that's worth, a little silver lining for my lateness. Hey, it makes me feel better for being late. Shut up, Dan. All right. Um, <laughs> God, Al, it hurts. Um, but yeah. And Quinones is also showing steady improvements. You know, he does tend to get dropped a lot because of his style. Again, you know, his chin is kind of the thing where you have the biggest question marks. And with Taruto having power, I don't blame anybody for taking the shot there. Uh, you know, seeing that pathway, right? But I feel like Quinones is a little more consistent. And essentially, if he, if Ishihara doesn't find that aforementioned shot... I think he's just going to get outworked um, by Kinona's proven pace and pressure, both on the ground and on the floor. Ishihara is improving with his positional game and his wrestling. He's been showing that off more. But I don't know if it's going to be enough to stop the scrambles and and uh, or much less uh, you know submit a guy like Kinona's. So this is more just work rate versus opportunism here. I'm siding with work rate. It's on the avoid list. All right, next is also on the avoid list big time. Ross Pearson is the favorite, uh, despite coming off a four-fight losing streak, which, again, that too, along with the other traditional tropes in MMA, we all need to pump the brakes on because MMA doesn't care about that. As we've seen, guys come off big layoffs, guys come off bad runs. It happens. Veterans show that they aren't done yet, and Ross Pearson could be that against Mizuto Hirota with a comeback on Hirota Pugnus is plus 125. Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I've been, I don't want to say a staunch defender, but I think anybody who even defends Pearson a couple percent percentage points becomes a staunch defender just because how bad he's been doing and how negative the narrative is surrounding him. But, uh, I, you know, I, assuming his chin isn't completely gone, which I do like that he took the time off, that was part of the reason why I slightly sided with him here. It's not a confident pick. But I think he's going to be able to outwork uh, Hirota, and I think the footwork is going to be the difference. You know, Hirota doesn't have the best um, takedowns, uh, you know, uh, or, or at least they have, you know, like many Japanese fighters, all their skills that look really tangible, technical, don't really work out when they're faced, facing non-Japanese fighters, you know what I'm saying? And kind of see that with Hirota. Uh, for the most part, I mean, Cole Miller, he did well there, and you know, Cole Miller, well, he was kind of, uh, sorry, surgery cut is hurting, but uh, Cole Miller was kind of done. Oh, I'm gonna have to run and grab a pillow in a second here because every time, like, I have to cough or sneeze or anything like that, I have to, per doctor's orders, put a pillow over where the staples are to hold my guts in. No, my guts aren't gonna pop out, but you know, to prevent all the internal stitches and external staples from coming loose. Anyways, you didn't need to know that. You didn't really need to know that. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, uh, this one's on the avoid list. I, I just I, th- I think Pearson will outdo him. I think he can defend the takedowns. He's back with uh, 
alliance, or at least he spent a little over a month there, which is more than he's done for his last few fights, which he's lost. So I think that's a common theme. We've seen that with Stevens and other people. Um, I don't think it's the things the commentators say. I think Del Fierro, he is an underrated coach in the sense that he gets results from his fighters. And whether you like those fighters or not, I think that part of it speaks for itself, that it is true. Those fighters have done their best work with Del Fierro in their corner consistently. Um, not just for the fight, I mean for the camp leading up to it, right? Okay, that's on the avoid list. All right, next fight is this one on the... Yeah, we are on FS1 prelims, people. Formiga versus Nguyen. This one is also on the avoid list because it's just so damn tight. It's quietly one of the more important fights uh, as far as a flyweight contender. Juicy Formiga, a guy I have a hard time picking against. Minus 120, the favorite versus Ben Nguyen. Plus 100, I believe that's recent. They might have been a little tighter as like close to favorites, and there's there's been some movement there. I don't blame people on Formiga. He might, you know, have found that Brazilian revival juice at American Top Team, like other Brazilians have, who we might have thought were done, that went there and started looking good. Uh, great camp, by the way. I'm not meaning that as a negative, but you know, you know what I'm saying too. All right. Um, so that could be the case, and Formiga, you know. Again, I don't know if I want to say I'm one of his staunch defenders, but I've always been a fan of this guy and trying to champion him is underrated. And a guy I always wanted to get his shot who never got his shot. So you would think I would pick him here against Ben Wynn, but I think Ben Wynn's on the upswing. I think he's one of those late-blossoming, uh, late-blossoming um, uh, fighters who just, you know, they start from a young age and they gain a lot of experience. So it's like... He might not have the best record, and you look like, oh, he's been stopped like X amount of times as a lighter weight guy. Like, wow, that's not good if you're a lighter weight guy. But, you know, those weren't all at flyweight. Those were at, you know, bantam weight. And uh, he wasn't, you know, he was just kind of training all around. He didn't really have a set home. And if you know his story, he's kind of been all around. He's fought MFC up in Canada. He's from North Dakota. He now makes his home in Australia. He trained Tiger Muay Thai in Thailand. I mean, but he's really found his groove now, I think. Uh, you know, he could get... If he gets his back taken, he's in trouble like anybody from Formiga. Formiga's one of the best back takers, you know, uh, in the sport, much less the division, you know. That guy will take a take a back off slipping a punch. It's amazing. Um, can he still do that? We'll see. He'll need to here, I think, because... Formiga has not progressed as much as I'd like him to as a fan of his in the striking department. He's always had that serviceable, you know, Nova Unyao striking without as much of a heavy emphasis on the knees or kicks as his stablemates, former stablemates, I should say. But now that he tagged along with Barrao and went up to American top team, you know, maybe he'll start, you know, making refinements, you know. Even Pedro Munoz, uh, we saw him, uh, we didn't see him this last time out, but before that, we saw some uh, refinements already, you know, small ones made to his game. So we could see, um, you know, Formiga follows suit. So it's good. It's more of a wait and see on the avoid list. All right, next. Jeremy Kennedy, plus 180. Underdog, it's Alexander Volkanovsky, uh, minus 220. Um, with this, you know, this this is more the neighborhood as, uh, as far as parlay piece material. So it actually ended up being that. Um, uh, I guess I don't blame you if you're not with me on this one and, and, and you're high on Kennedy. I, I don't blame you. K Kennedy is deservedly one of Canada's higher prospects. Um, 
people might say his style is boring, which I don't blame you, but for me, you know, for how Dan Tom's wired, you know, I don't hold people against those styles. Um, consistency isn't, isn't a bad thing if you're a better. And I just appreciate the lever awareness and, 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 the, and, the, and, you know, just the positional awareness he shows even when he's just against the fence, when it might look like he's boring, you know, just the fact that he's taking away his opponent's posts and so forth. Like, Jeremy Kennedy's doing some really smart things in there. Um, and he's no slouch, you know, on the feet either, you know, even though he doesn't show it that much. Uh, in fact, he's actually was at Extreme Couture for a little bit. Of course, I haven't been there with everything that's going on with me. But he spent, you know, uh, two weeks. It was only two weeks, but he did come out here, you know. He's, he's doing the GSP, the GSP to, to, to follow suit with the GSP comparisons that are often lauded on him. Uh, you know, he's traveling around, learning abroad. He's doing the right things. He's got a high ceiling. I see great things for him. Um, he's also working with Gil Martinez, by the way, guy responsible for making Michael Chandler's hands really good before Michael Chandler's hands didn't get so good before they fell off. Um, Gil Martinez was the guy that helped him through uh, the run up the first Bellator tournament where he, where he beat out of the Alvarez. Uh, then Chandler moved to Alliance, and that's where you kind of saw him do the low-handed striking again. He was just taking way too much damage. Anyways, but uh, Gil Martinez, though, mm, I don't know about the guy's personal life, but as a boxing coach, he does really good work. Um, and, uh, for a guy who's kind of developing into that kind of wrestle transitionary fighter, having the boxing and more, more importantly, the head movement that Gil teaches with boxing is really important. I will say rolling your head off twos. Gil was, Gil was one of the coaches that instilled that upon me. And he's one of, you know, his nickname, Master Mitter is, is it's hard to argue, man. He's a really, really excellent Nick guy. I don't have the vast experience to give you a genuine reference to say he's the best Mick guy I ever worked with, but he's the best Mick guy I ever worked with. Um, and just boxing coach taught me a lot. Uh, even me as just an amateur, you know, an amateur competitor at the time. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so again, lots of like about Jeremy Kennedy. The problem with all that though, so I feel like he's meeting somebody who just does it better than him. This is just a bad stylistic matchup. Guy who hits harder, who can counter better, who can come forward with his strikes better, who has a better sense inside the pocket, uh, who's more powerful in the clinch as a wrestler, as a striker, who's a better wrestler, who has the same, kind of actually a lot of the same propensities to to pull levers away from his opponents and pull posts from them and, and leave them kind of helpless feeling, that kind of style of grappling. Volkanovski also does that. Um, sorry. Yeah, Volkanovski also does that, so... I just feel it's a bad stylistic matchup. You know, they're just meeting at the wrong time. Volkanovski is older, but not too old. You know, and J Jeremy Kennedy, like I said earlier, has, has has a ways to go. You know, it's a long ways to go. Australia, Volkanovski's kind of quietly riding this unheralded win streak. Interviews leading up to this, he seems really, really dialed in to not just winning and fighting, but who his opponent is and what his opponent wants to do. And that's good. And the way he's talking about it is really good as well. Um, if he's healthy, he should be able to, uh, win, uh, win it here. I was looking at possibly as an over instead, but the over is, is two thirty. It's practically the same thing. And for a guy that I think could win and it could be in one of those where I kind of worry and I end up feeling like I'm giving the other guy too much respect and who knows Volkanovski could I come out here and just blow Kennedy out of the water. You know, we haven't seen Kennedy tested a lot, you know? You look at his UFC experience. Yeah, he was able to take down a bigger guy in Alessandro Ricci. With no offense, Alessandro Ricci was a really nice guy I've worked with in the past. But 
you know, not not a top tier guy. You know what I'm saying? And uh, the record will show that. It's not trying to be a dick or anything. Just, just the record will show that. And the guys before we got to the UFC, I mean, I think most of them didn't even have a record, much less winning records if they did until like the last guy he fought. So there's still a lot to prove we don't know about Kennedy. So I'm not crapping on him. I like what I see. I'll defend what I see, in fact. But a little too much too soon. I don't mean to be disrespectful. As I always feel like whatever fighter I feel like I put as my parlay piece feels like automatically disrespecting the other fighter. It's not how it goes. It's just how the game works, and that's the play here. All right, next fight. Rob Wilkinson, plus 295 versus Israel Desanya, minus 355. The price keeps climbing on Izzy. Despite being a UFC debutant, he is the biggest favorite. Um, and usually that would be asking for criticism and me being a contrarian, but, but no. Um, after, A, watching the guy, You'll see that he's not just an amazing kickboxer, which more than that. Like many Muay Thai guys, even though he's the style bender, he he's, his, his base is, is Muay Thai. Um, admittedly, himself, he says so. And like many Muay Thai fighters, they quietly carry strong bases and balances in the clinch. So, Izzy is naturally very strong there. And that's why he handles himself very well in transit. And his counter-wrestling, even if you look at it from his first, very first two fights... To his more recent fights like Melvin Gillard, all these finishes are actually coming on the ground. Um, because he's A, he's successfully counter-wrestling. He's showing awareness as things like overhooks, underhooks, head position in relation to his hip position. Uh, of course, his natural athleticism and base and balance, that certainly helps. And then he even goes as far as to pontificate his presence and or you know, punctuate his presence with hitting, you know, Uchimata's hip tosses. Right, he's hit a couple of those early and later on in his career. I mean, these are things I like to see, and then we'll follow it on. The, the, he almost did like a Damian Maya leg weave against Melvin Gillard, but Melvin Gillard kind of followed through the motion and came to his uh, base to a turtle position, which Adesanya appropriately switches to a side ride and just continues punching and punishing Gillard. Um, really impressed with the way he flows. It's very natural. And he really embraces his reach. And again, like a lot of Muay Thai and clench fighters, what makes good clench strikers, like Alistair Overeem or Josh Barnett, is they're good, they're good hand fighters. And both of those guys, Overeem and Barnett, are also good ground and pounders. And that's not a coincidence. And as I often point out in my breakdowns, good clench strikers are often good ground and pounders because they both require... The same thing, the same key, which is hand fighting, hand fighting, wrist control, you know, um, and Dominic Cruz put it so well because he came from the same coaches as me who I know drilled it into his head, Neil Melanson, and except Dom, Dom Cruz used a different way to explain it, which, which I, which I enjoyed. He said, it's like the jab of MMA in the sense of, you know, it's just such a connecting piece and it's true. You know, it's, it's the unsung hero. I don't think anybody wants to read an article on hand fighting, but believe me, it's something that Dan Tom's had in his basement as far as projects of brewing and the importance of it and, and trying to get Neil in on that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, neither here nor there, but hand fighting is, is super important. Adesanya does that. And that with his long arms, which, you know, as you know, long arms allow for vicious ground and pound. You know, from John Jones to even unassuming looking guys like Rick Glenn, you have those long limbs, you can generate violent ground and pound. So 
there's a lot to like there. Whereas Wilkinson, he's showing improved stand-up each time out when you watch his progression as a fighter. But he consistently has a propensity to fade. He's do or die. He too doesn't get out of the first round very often. So if he doesn't get his back, a position and, and grind him against the fence, which is his strength, but it's also the thing that everybody in MMA has tried to do, done, try to do to Izzy Adesanya. Um, and I don't know if he's going to be successful, you know? When guys get his back, sure, it was Melvin Gillard, but you look at what Izzy was doing and that awareness, uh, that lever awareness that he knew that, okay, if I protect my neck, neck is neck is safe in this current position, he's not choking up on it, I have a hand here, now all I have to do, if I push this leg forward, I will flip him forward the other way. Uh, Rousey did it to Carmouche, except Rousey didn't protect her neck, so when she went to do it, Carmouche was already on her neck. But if you look at the move, and everybody remembers that when Rousey was almost caught, but what a lot of people don't remember is what Rousey did to get out of it. And it's a move a lot of people do, I just reference it because it's such a popular fight. But you, know, you, you essentially grab either the shin or the knee, that's you know one of, one of the hooks that are in, or somebody's triangled across or trying to triangle across. You grab their shin or their knee and you kind of just pull it strong one way and it just hula hoops the person and rotates them to the front, making them lose their position, right? And gravity, if you're standing, gravity will assist you in this by pulling them forward to the ground. And you can get some shots off and you know be free of that position. So little things like that tell me that he's improving. And then not just seeing the footage, but meeting him in the studio. Low key, Adesanya is one of my favorite guests in the studio. Like I hate people that say the it factor and I hate all that crap and hype. And you know, you know Dan Tom is like the first contrarian when it comes to the, these these typical tropes that you might stereotype with this guy. But no, this guy had the it factor. Uh, he was going to be something, you know, like he really just had, he had it, man. Like from the unspoken stuff to even like the spoken little shit. Like it was funny. We actually, we had Stitch in that day for uh, his, uh, for his, uh, by the way, shout out to Pam and Sam, the belly dancers who came in. It was Stitch's birthday, so Pam and Sam came in, the belly dancers. Uh, sweet ladies, by the way. Uh, came all the way in from uh, North Carolina, I believe. And um, <coughs> I did my pillow for that one. Sorry. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and before they, they came on, uh, the segment before was Adesanya, Izzy Adesanya. And hey, you know, gorgeous George, hey, Izzy, Izzy, you want to stick around? We got belly dancers coming. And he goes, oh, belly dancers? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, can we, and this is bad because it's radio, but he goes, can we? And then he pantomimes like the strip club, like like a brick of cheddar, you're, you're, you know, uh, dishing out dishing out singles kind of motion, you know, where you have your your flat, your hand out flat like a server and you're. You're flicking, you're like, you're, you're flicking it like a machine, right? Right? You're doing that motion. He goes, can we, uh, like, <laughs> he wanted to get down. He wasn't even messing around. And he even admitted he couldn't train out here because there's too many distractions. And I think that's what he meant. So maybe he might really, maybe those John Jones comparisons may be true in other ways, unfortunately, if you know what I'm saying. But uh, until he shows to be that kind of a human being, I'm a fan, man. I'm a fan of this guy. That's for damn sure. And of course, um, what we're talking about, most importantly, I'm a fan of his fighting. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, the angle here though, because that, that is too much of not being said too much of an inflated line of play. So the recommended prop that'll be on tomorrow's article or today, depending on when you're listening, Adesanya Wilkinson won't see round three. It's only minus 170. So I put 1.5 units on that, which, you know, it's a lot for old, old 
fucking cheap Chang Danton. Um, yeah, uh, it's just it's it's it, that's that straight play range and uh, oh, I'm putting too much. Don't flex the stomach, Dan. Don't flex the stomach. And yeah, so that that's what that's what that's gonna be. All right. Uh, next we got Dong Young Kim minus one thirty five and Damian Brown plus one fifteen. Uh, this is also on the avoid list. This actually completes the avoid list. Uh, though, let's be honest, everything should be on the avoid list. It's MMA. You're crazy for gambling on it. But this is going to be, you know, much people projected to be fight of the night. Uh, the way these guys bring it, aside from Kim's fight with Brandon O'Reilly, that is, uh, you know, he usually brings it. Uh, Brown, even though I normally pick against him, and was tempted to pick him against him here. This was like uh, 11th hour, if you will, as far as... Uh, one of the more picks I was kind of back and forth on because I'm a big fan of Glenn from The Walking Dead, a.k.a. Dong Young Kim, a.k.a. The Maestro. But even though he's the more well-rounded fighter with obviously the higher athletic and overall ceiling than Brown, no offense, Brown, this could be a bad timing, a bad matchup at the bad timing because Brown, we already know what we're going to get with him. We already know he's going to come and bring it and he's already accepted his lot in life as far as that like he's just he's a warrior he's fucking been through so much shit he doesn't give a fuck if you know go listen you know to 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 uh, in, uh interviews with the guy uh actually uh dan levy on uh, half the battle that does some good ones i know he's a couple a history of them there uh and and uh that are really good because not not a lot of you know dan brown doesn't really get a lot of coverage from the mainstream media but you hear a story and and hear the guy talk he's he's an endearing he's an endearing fella and it's hard not to root for that i always have a softness too for combat veterans um but yeah i mean brown you know his chin is suspect too and so is so is kim's to a certain extent though again Kim Younger, higher ceiling. He'd be like one of those guys where they get knocked out real young in their career, and now he's we're seeing him fight smarter, and, and maybe now Kim is on the upswing, and he's going to win this fight. Okay, that that very well could happen. That probably should happen because he's the favorite for a reason. I agree that he should be the favorite. But I just think that Damian Brown, because he's we already know what he's going to do, I think his sensibilities are going to bring out that brawling sensibility in Kim. And... As it does with Kim, it's going to cost him here, I think. I think he's going to cost him against the hometown guy. But even if you are on the favorite, as you know, I probably should be too, you can't feel too good about either side of this match. I mean, this is going to be a wild one. Uh, Brown, you know, I think Kim has a slightly offensive uh, wrestling advantage, but Brown's counter-wrestling and get-up game and relentlessness and will, I mean, he's not going to be sitting positions. So, I mean, this thing's going to be going back and forth no matter where it's going. So, yeah, you can't really feel too confident. So, uh, I was going to try to go straight through, but on that beat, I'm going to take a break. And when we come back, we will break down the main card of UFC 221 right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast. Oh. 
Forever, a beautiful song. Uh, I don't want to think about the stuff that'd be playing at my funeral, but I wouldn't mind someone putting on that track. It's definitely kind of encapsulates like, funeral and death aside, and not to get dark, but encapsulates how I feel as far as just wanting sleep, <laughs> being tired. Anybody who's followed this podcast knows your boy could use uh, a break. And speaking of music and speaking of breaks, uh, well, speaking of breaks, I should say, the, the next will segue into the next fight. Um, I'll be going, I just I just purchased my ticket. Uh, I didn't announce it yet, but I announced it here. I just purchased my ticket to UFC 223. That's right. All the fucking procrastination that Dan's talked about with New York cards and visiting New York or just going to New York for a New York card and visiting my third home and I miss Brooklyn and I miss my restaurant. Well, I'm going back, motherfuckers. I don't know did I buy my ticket. Which I think it's a pretty good one. It's where the fighters walk out. I think it's like uh, section twenty-two, row seven, seat one. I want to say. Oh, oh, they're gonna come find me. You know what? It's in the beers. Hopefully, I'll be able to drink by then because I would definitely be treating myself come April. I'm gonna be a good boy and get healthy until then. Dan Tom, as you know, has been through a painful journey. Uh, my first vacation in two years got ruined, and to the point where I am in the predicament where I have holes cut in me currently and guts hang- almost hanging out. So I needed something to look forward to, goddammit. And I bought myself two. I realized I had JetBlue points left over from my old New York travels. So I signed back on a JetBlue. Got myself a nice comfy seat, at least on the way there. Not a first class, but the more space seat, you know, so I could do some work. Because, uh, you know, I may have the last of my betting article. Maybe I'll be editing the podcast by that time. And, uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be going in on Thursday, I believe is the 5th. I'll be there Thursday afternoon. I get I should be, be in and packed, uh, unpacked by Thursday afternoon. Probably be uh, eating some of my favorite places. Go out for some drinks Thursday night. Depending on if you're hanging out, hit me up at Dan Tom MMA Friday night. See what's going down. Hopefully, be hanging out with the fight community. I haven't got a place to stay yet, but I'll probably be staying somewhere in downtown Brooklyn, not where I'm from, but it's more closer to Barclays Center and probably where everybody's going to be at. So there's that news and the music segue, which is going to segue into the first matchup, which is Tyson Pedro. Tyson Pedro, two nine minus two ninety, 
uh, versus Saperbeck Safarov plus two forty five, and how that ties into music because, as you heard in the intro, Tyson Pedro's on the card. You know, Dio sexual is being played. Although I heard something that he might be coming out to Mariah Carey or some shit instead. Ah, shame on you, Tyson. Come out to sexual. The great song. Uh, got me hooked. But even though uh, I'm a fan of the song and. You know, I'm a fan of Tyson Pedro as well. I, I'm not a fan of the line here. I think I think it was I think it's off. Uh, I think it's I don't know what it opened at. Uh, if it get inflated, if so, then it's inflated at high man. Um, you know, Saperbeck Saparov, as I say in my breakdown, <laughs> which is funny, they ended up using the title. I don't I don't make the titles for these things. I don't know all the time. I did it for my Tyron Woodley title. Uh, maybe I should uh, recommend some stuff more, but I actually like what they went with. Uh, I, I normally do, but I really liked it this time, I should say. <laughs> he used the line, uh, well, I don't even remember the line I wrote now. Uh, Saprovic Saparov. Oh yeah, the demeanor of a guy that you pissed off in the parking lot. That's that's what I get from Saprovic Saparov. Like, you just behind the wheel, just pissed the fuck off, you know? You cut him off or something, but... um. Yeah, the dude's a savage, man. He doesn't look like much. He looks like a dude from the 70s, like taxi driver or some shit. But, you know, he he can scrap, man. Um, and uh, Pedro, you know, it's still a limited sample size, you know. like Even though I'm high on him, I picked Latifi against him because of that. You know, so he's probably going to wrestle him, and he did. And Safarov didn't show much of his wrestling in his gunfight with John Viante, but if you're able to watch any of his regional footage, you'll see that he actually is... A pretty aggressive and decent regional game, although, you know, it's always hard to judge against the guys, at least he was going against, um, how effective it was. But, you know, he chains pretty well against the, uh, against the cage, you know, and he's or, or the barrier, depending on what he's working with. He's got a good penetration shot to get him there. Um, so if he does that, you know, we'll see. But he will look for submissions, but, you know, can he submit Pedro? I don't, I don't think so. Um, I think you you could maybe just control Pedro, and that's about it. You know, uh, he showed off his back, maybe not the best, like most guys in that weight division. Nothing against Pedro and his his multiple belts in jiu-jitsu. It's just it's just not the best place to be in MMA, and your percentages are even smaller the higher in the weight you are. So that's that's just kind of facts, right? So um, you know, we'll see. But I actually think Pedro will take Saparov down. I think Saparov will look to expose Pedro, or at least not give him the space. Pedro more of a dynamic striker and needs space, so I think Safarov's, Safarov's style plays naturally to kind of suffocate that. I think he's going to try to do that, but that aggression allows for openings of many kinds, but it'll also allow for, allow for takedowns, which, um, yeah, Pedro couldn't get Latifi down, but that's Latifi, man. Of course he was getting out-wrestled by Latifi. Pedro actually has pretty decent takedowns for a guy of his background, his lankiness, his size, um, and I think he can. I think he can get some trips here. Get him down, and once he gets him down, he's going to be able to wear on him, if not find the finish. So that's my pick. But the line, the line kind of trips me. Well, it trips me out here. Um, oh, by the way, Israel Adesanya and uh, Damian Brown were on my fantasy uh, lists. Uh, Damian Brown for being an underdog with low price, who can possibly, if he does win, he's going to win with a bang. And there's not a lot of guys to pick from from the underdog category like that, so he fits that. And Israel Adesanya. Obviously. All right. Uh, next, Jake Matthews, plus 135 versus Li Jing Lang. This is all another, another interesting one. Li Jing Lang favorite, minus 25. I, I agree with the favorite, and I, my pick is Lee, but I did take Jake Matthews for uh, the underdog pick 
you always have to pick one underdog, at least one underdog that you didn't pick, right? Depending on how you picked, usually, sensibly. Usually kind of forced in fantasy to pick someone you're, you're not. And this time, in this case, I did Matthews because I think this is this is closer than what some might think because essentially, you know, just like Saparov with Lee, you know, I like Lee. He's tightening things up. I think his counter-wrestling does hold up. I think he does find his shots. Uh, he's, he's a much more potent puncher, and he's got freakish power. But Jake Matthews has shown that, you know, he he's a solid takedown force. And say what you will about that style, it can win fights. And against an aggressive guy, or at least a guy who has a propensity to get aggressive like Lee, it could bite him in the butt, and we could see Lee on his butt. Um, you know, maybe even submitted. You know, who knows? Uh, Jake Matthews has surprised me. I've underestimated him a lot before. So maybe this is me kind of hedging here. Or maybe he's got it in my head a bit, even though I'm still picking against him. But I, I definitely could see a path where he wins here, and considering that his path involves takedowns. Um, that makes him a, a, a solid drafting choice for, again, a card with not a lot of underdogs that I like. And even if there's underdogs you like, they might be a part of matchups that might not promise a finish. They're a little too volatile and not in the best of ways in that case, right? So even if you're not going to get a finish, you at least want to take down a heavy guy. Jake Matthews could be worth a look at at 7,400. But I am officially siding with Lee. Um, who I actually wouldn't mind looking at for a round three, aside from uh, the obvious choice of Yo Romero, who we'll get to later. Uh, Lee is kind of a round three guy with his pace and pressure. And Matthews, who kind of shows that he can start to fade come round three, especially at welterweight when he's having to move around bigger guys if his last performance was any indication. So something to watch for. All right, next fight, Tai Tuivasa, minus 275, plus 235, Stroll Asker. Another big line, man. This is another one where it's like, uh, I took Tai Tuivasa, by the way, <laughs> as the highest guy, as I say this, because I think he does get the first round knockout. I think Cyril Asker, even despite being a mobile heavyweight, despite being underrated, despite showing improvements, albeit small ones, his head doesn't move very much. And that is why he runs into a lot of trouble as he's gotten to the higher levels here. And when he runs into that trouble, he runs into it hard, right? He's not moving his head. Not a good idea against a guy like Tai Tuivasa, who Mark Hunt says is the hardest hitter he's felt. Training partner, granted, he's going to say nice things. But still, the guy hits hard. That is one thing that's for sure of his sketchy sample size. That being said, it's a sketchy sample size. So again, this is another inflated line here. Because Tuivasa sh shows the gas. And it's weird that it says he's undefeated because he, depending on which record you look at, he's been knocked out in a kickboxing bout. And then he also got knocked out by Peter Graham because he gassed. And you may be familiar with Peter Graham, but the reason why I'm guessing why this isn't on resumes is because the organization it was for was called C8. And I want to say that was... Um, whatchamacallit's uh, organization, um, John Wayne, I want to say John Wayne Parr's organization, where he did cage fighting with MMA gloves, but it was just essentially Muay Thai. So it was like full contact Muay Thai kickboxing in a cage with MMA gloves. That was his, that was his idea. And I'm pretty sure that's what that bout was. It's kind of a sketchy recording, and there's not a lot of info on it, and it's not listed on like, you know, your sure dogs or tapology, so that's my guess. But the point is, the dude's been knocked out twice. Um, he gasses 
in those fights he's been knocked out. He gasses in the fights that he's won. And all of those wins and losses have been in the first round, and he's still gassed. So, I mean, like, he's almost asking to be faded. Anybody playing Asker, which I imagine there is, why, why that line didn't inflate more, I don't blame you because Asker actually is a decent takedown game. It's very serviceable. He's not the most athletic guy, but everything is very much in place. Uh, he keeps very tight on his space, you know, where his head and hip position. It's not, it's not awful. And he chains off from doubles or singles depending on what the situation calls for. So theoretically, if he can survive the storm and get this into a grappling fight, this could turn into a really ugly upset that goes Asker's way. So be weary of that. But I play Tuivasa for fantasy recommendations. All right. Next one, we have Mark Hunt plus 140, Curtis Blades minus 160. All right. Mark Hunt, I have for fantasy. Uh, he fits obviously the profile of underdog who can hit for the obvious reasons. But if we're just looking at underdogs on this card, or even just underdogs to the history of. MMA's time-space continuum, Mark Hunt is one of the more traditionally more reliable underdogs. Really, right? He's the quintessential underdog. Punching power, heart, doesn't look physically impressive, chin, for the most part. Consistently made the underdog by the odds makers. His story, his narrative is that of an underdog. I mean, this dude is a quintessential dog. And he's one of the more proven ones. Even if you're not a fan of Mark Hunt, even if you're not picking him here, you can't argue with that. That is a fact. Does that mean he's going to win? No, of course not. Uh, Curtis Blades is someone I've been high on. Curtis Blades is someone I picked against Ngannou, and I still would today. Um, I've been very high on Curtis, Curtis Blades. So anybody that knows me would maybe be surprised that I actually picked against him here. Uh, especially because Curtis Blades was my early lean. I thought like you did. Oh, well, Hunt traditionally struggles with wrestling. Sure, it was a roided up to the gills Brock Lesnar. But he still struggled with it. Okay, maybe we'll take that one off the table. Well, it was Stipe. You know, well, Stipe is the greatest heavyweight of all time. A, and B, not taking anything away from Stipe, who stylistically, in retrospect, bad matcher for Matt. Uh, not even in retrospect, but uh, now, especially now, I should say. Greatest heavyweight of all time. But Hunt had trouble making weight for that fight. Hunt had the hardest time making weight for that fight than he did in any other UFC fight. Hunt came in in worse shape and performed worse in that fight than any other UFC fight. It was some kind of personal problems. He never ever got too much into it. And I hate to harp on it to make an excuse to take away from another guy, especially when the guy himself isn't even making those excuses. But it was clear that was not the best version of Mark Hunt. So again, does that mean he's the best wrestler in the world, Dan, and those mean nothing? Of course not. I'm not taking away from either of those guys, even fucking Lesnar's righted ass, okay? But you do have to factor both sides in, is what I am saying. And even when Hunt is taken down, his get-up ability is improved. He strikes really well off the break, which is where Curtis Blades has been struck before. And even though Curtis Blades has his power double that I and many people reference when thinking in their head, when you go back and watch the footage, he doesn't always shoot those. Um, I went back and watched his wrestling footage, which is why I'm high on him. And he shoots him there. He's aggressive from the body lock, like he is against. You saw him against Adam Milstead. He does that if you go back and watch his junior college footage. Um, he does that as well. Again, another reason why I picked him against Ngannou. I saw that wrestling footage. It wasn't against the MMA footage against the no-name Joe Schmo guys. That didn't impress me so much. That didn't make me very confident. But it was his wrestling ability. 
But in MMA, putting things together when you're often when you're trying to do an MMA, or when you start taking hits, you start learning more about the game. You have more awareness in your head. Your game adjusts, and some wrestlers thrive, some wrestlers don't. We know this, right? Mark Munoz is a classic case of a wrestler who was such a great wrestler in college, one of the best teachers for wrestling and wrestling, one of the best teachers for wrestling in MMA. He was literally accoladed in every wrestling category except when it came to wrestling in his own fucking fights. He couldn't do it to save his life, for the most part. Uh, unless it was like, you know, Kendall Grove or some guy, right? You know what I'm saying? No offense to Kendall. I like Kendall. But that's what I'm saying. So uh, am I saying that against Blades? No. I think Blades will translate it, but right now, we're seeing him hit hit roadblocks. Where that's why we're seeing him hit, hit these inconsistent performances. So I am willing to give him a pass in inconsistent performances because of that, as many defenders will say. But what is sadly seemingly consistent is this weird decision making, and this is what swayed me to hunt. Blades makes some weird fucking decisions in his fights, man. Um, I don't know what it is. Like, he just, he just makes weird decisions uh, constantly, whether it's like a grabbing the fence or a kicking a guy when he's down. The obvious one, obviously, his last fight, Alexi Olnick. But, like, you go through his fights, whether it's, like, small tactical stuff where it's like, why'd you do that, Dodo Brain? Uh, to, like, stuff where, like, what the fuck were you thinking? Like, he has those moments consistently in his fights, win or lose. And that's what worries me. And I think he was able to get away with it with guys so far, except for Ningano, obviously. But I don't think he's going to get away with it from Hunt. And I think Blades has probably the most unhuman chin of anybody just looking at the size of his freaking head, right? If anybody's going to defy odds, it's that guy. But at the end of the day, it's MMA. At the end of the day, he's a human being. All these guys can go off. And if anybody's put the unshuttable guys off, it's been Mark Hunt. So, until I see otherwise, until I see more from Blades, until he progresses more, and I think he's going to have a high ceiling, but until I see it, until I stop seeing those questionable decisions, I'm going to pick Hunt, whose power and timing still appears to be there. And according to the social meds, he looks to be coming in this fight in good shape. That's my case there. And I played him plus 140, one unit. That is the lone straight play. I'll recap all these plays at the end, too. Uh, last one, Luke Rockhold. Minus 160, Yoel Romero, plus 140. Early lean was Romero. You all know I'm a Romero fan. I don't know why people always pick against this guy. He's like, oh, he's the underdog. He's one of the most crazy specimens, you know? I always like to pump my chest, you know, even though I don't pump my chest at picking him against him against Souza because that was a close fight and that was hard to pick. How can you be proud either way? But I, I did uh, call the, the, the Romero versus Wyman one, even laying out his series of faking into the Flying knee to get the finish. Uh, though I immediately regretted, regretted being right uh, when it happened because I thought he killed Chris Weidman. That's right. Thankfully he didn't. Um, but I could not pick Yoel Romero here. I was initially leaning toward him as I saw his leaning, leaping right hook getting the job done. And it could very well do it. You know, Rockhold doesn't have the best chin. I don't want to say suspect, but that seems to be the... Uh, he's kryptonite, right? Uh explosive dudes who can pop or maybe not if you're talking about Michael Bisping so I mean who fucking knows with those theories but I think we all can admit you Romero can get it done um so I'm hurting right now so I'm probably gonna speed through this end here but uh 
That being said, I went with Luke Rockhold. Not so much the more ways to win. It's just tricky because both guys are opportunists. So I love picking against opportunists. But Rockhold is the more proven opportunist. He's more proven early, mid, through a five-round fight with cardio. Um, even though I did not like how he looked early against Branch, and I could see him getting taxed early here. If he doesn't, I see him finding his footing. And Yoel Romero, I don't think he's going to want to wrestle with him. And I don't know if the wrestling threat's going to be as high because Rockhold's not one to bite on sprawls, which is what leads to those flying knees. Furthermore, Rockhold usually welcomes going to the ground with anybody and welcomes those scrambles. So he's cool with it. He, that's why he just tries to strike. I mean, he's also has great reactions to athleticism. He's one of the few guys that can actually compete with Yoel on an athletic level, much less technical level, which technically he's better than Yoel. At least as a grappler. Um, not a wrestler, but as an overall grappler, right? I mean, uh, you know, the big squid headline aside, but he does, man. He, Luke Rockhold turns into the fucking Kraken by the time he hits the mount. By the time he puts both of his hooks in, I mean, the guy, his, his top control and the way he uses his frame to interweave and vine and manipulate is really something to behold. It's fucking ruthless. I would not want to be underneath that dude. It really must feel like you're being entangled by a kraken, like it's a ship and being engulfed by a giant octopus. I mean, that is that is the image I get, and that's why I use it to describe his game down there. Um, and I actually would not be surprised to see him end up down there in, in, in a wild scramble or a takedown of his own, in fact, against Yoel Mero, who's been proven to be taken down because, again, his aggressiveness leads to these takedowns, leads to these scrambles, whether he's initiating them or they're being initiated on him. Uh, so for that reason, I have to imagine that is why Luke Rockhold is favored here. But it is a match that I want to play now. The overs, the unders, like on many of these fights, it's really unpredictable. A lot of these fights are really unpredictable gunfights or oddly inflated lines with the Adesanyas and my Samoan brethren in Tuivasa and Pedro. So pick your poison, but in review I picked... Starting from the top, Fantasy, Tai Tuivasa, Israel Adesanya, Luke Rockhold, Mark Hunt, Damian Brown, Jake Matthews for a roster total of 49,700. The only parlay piece I recommended was Volkanovski, minus 220. My only straight play is Hunt, minus 145, one unit. My only prop is Adesanya Wilkinson, won't see round three, minus 170, 1.5 units. Fights to avoid. Brown versus Kim. Ishihara versus Kinodes. Formiga versus Wynn. Pearson versus Hirota. And that is it. Um, I think we got some Bellator coming up. Some more UFC, of course. They're relentless asses. But there is light around the corner. Because it's all about UFC 223, baby. MMA gods be kind. Oh, be kind. I'm coming. I'm coming home. Coming to my third home. I hope to see you. But if you do see me, it will probably have to either be involved with fights, food, or beer. So intend on that. At Dan Tom and Maze, where you can reach me. At the PYM Podcast is where you can reach the podcast, which is hosted at MixedMarshallAnalyst.com. Don't forget about that. That's where you can find the Onnit and Amazon links. Thank you guys for clicking through. It's how you support the show, which is free and will remain free. 
uh, and full of information, anecdotal stories, and my craziness. Yes, of course, and inappropriate humor. Um, so thank you guys for that. And another free way to support the show is iTunes. Five stars, ratings, reviews. They really help. Again, I know I'm late and I offer a small window, but I really do try my hardest to offer consistent, in-depth coverage, audio, visual, maybe not so much visual, I'm sorry, I, I'll try as things become more available, but with your support, continue to support, they will, and we're written, of course, at MMAJunkie.com. Thank you guys for sharing the articles, commenting, interacting, sharing the podcast, interacting with the hashtag, Protecting Night Podcast, I will catch up with those the reviews, the click-throughs, and all that. But until then, enjoy the fights this weekend. Good luck on your picks and plays. Drink one for me because I can't. Stay out of the surgery wards if you can. And if you can't protect your belly button, always protect your neck.